Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome to the History and Technicolor. Uh, this is me, David, and... This is Wolf. Excellent. So, today it's mine. It's all about me, uh, Wolf, and we're going to do Lion in Winter. But before we do the Lion in Winter, yes. you're looking at me as though you're surprised. I feel like you're going to throw something out at me Could that be. I wasn't expecting. Could be. Not another song? Obviously. Mm, not another song. There's too many songs. So, um, Outlaw King. Yes. It came up. I got hounded by quite a few people, actually, saying, oh, you've got to do Outlaw King. It's really, really good. So in a moment of weakness, I said, mm, OK, I will do Outlaw King. And then I talked to you and you said, no. So I said, oh, all right. But I did watch Secretly, I snuck away and I did watch it. Well, yes. I'm sorry about that. Um, and I thought we should just very quickly say, and we had a little snap poll on the Facebook site. Yep. And the answer was that 77% people said, mm, it's all right. Yep. It's all right. Yeah. Which is a bit tragic. Basically... I thought it was fine. You know, the nice thing about it was that it was nice and accurate. But yeah. um, it sort of lacked a bit of pizzazz, really, didn't it? What would you rank it in accuracy? In accuracy, it's probably a seven. Okay. You know, they still messed around quite a lot. They had to really probably... But, you know, it was reasonably good. They had a civil war. They were dressed in the right way. They didn't wear anything stupid on their face. But the biggest problem with the movie, of course, is the haircut. They gave Chris Pine a mullet. I mean, I thought the mullet had been banned for all time. You know, the 70s were a nightmare of a decade, Wolf. We had mullets. My favourite thing is trying to spot mullets in the modern world. No, nobody's, nobody's got a mullet I'm in the all, modern world. I've seen a few. Never. Don't worry. Every time I see one, 
Are you, I know. Well, that. Um, ah, a nightmare. Anyway, Mitchell it was Guide fine. To mullets. It was good, uh, quite fun, enjoyed it, but, you know, it didn't really get you excited. I think what's really interesting and is important because of how much we complained about Braveheart, Indeed. the Outlaw King is more accurate but yeah. is significantly less entertaining than Braveheart. Well, on the other hand, just going back to my algorithm, which yes. I need to obviously develop, it was also considerably less irritating than Braveheart. So although I might I was in danger of throwing something at the telly with Braveheart, I felt in no danger of doing that with the Outlaw I do King. understand that, but at least in defence of Braveheart, I kind of care whether I'm angry or involved. It draws something out of me, and I feel at least engaged by the film, whereas The Outlaw King, I was quite bored. You'd have to take a blowtorch to me to admit that Braveheart was in any way a better movie than Outlaw King. What score would you give the film The Outlaw King? 6.1. And is this because you gave Braveheart 6? Might be. Okay. Well, okay. we've established you're a liar and a cheat. <laughs> Phew, the nicest thing you've ever said at me. Right, so we're going to talk about The Lion King. No, we're not. That would be interesting. We're going to talk about The Lion in Winter. Yes, so, The Lion in Winter. Why did I choose The Lion in Winter? A, a refor refined form of sadomasochism, essentially, Wolf. I have seen this before when I was alive. Uh, I'm vague. You didn't see this when you were dead? No. You saw this when you were alive? Okay. Uh, yeah. Which is a long time Just ago. Just so we know where we are in, in your life. Uh -huh. I remember Catherine Hepburn... Wearing the worst article of clothing I have ever seen anybody wear. And, you know, and that is quite a statement since we've just talked about mullets. I Plus, I've seen your trousers. <laughs> That's very rude. I remember it to be a commercial success. So I thought to myself, but also I remembered it to be as dull as ditch water. Literally as dull as ditch water. I thought, this is the dullest thing I'm being made to watch. Why am I watching this? Um, so I was interested. Here's an opportunity, I thought, to go back and see... Could this thing that was so dull really have been a commercial success? Could it have been so bad? Could Poirot Catherine really have been made to wear that article of clothing? Okay? Okay. So that's why... I'm interested to see what you think. These are good, shallow reasons, aren't they? Also, there's another reason which we're doing Eleanor of Aquitaine on the members' shedcast at the moment, and this, of course, fits into her life, so I thought, let's see what it tells us about her and her sons and her husband. And let's not forget, we did a poll before we launched our first episode. That is a very good point. And this was the film that came yeah. up the most often yeah. by the most people. Except for... Except for The Man for All Seasons. A Man for All Seasons, yes. which you hated. So I'm I confident. thought this came out on top. You might be right. I believe you told me yes. this came out on top. A Man for All Seasons was second. A Man for All Seasons was second, which might be what I argue yeah. is actually based on the quality of the film. Okay, so you might... Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold up. I'm gonna ask you what you think in just a moment. So what was it? Um, it was a play originally. Would you believe? So you must have loved it, yeah, David. On Broadway, actually, the play Since crashed and burned. Theatre is better than film. It is, as you say. The play crashed and burned, though. So I thought, hmm, let's make a film of that then, which is an odd decision. Anyway, they did. Uh, it's written by James Goldman. Uh, director Anthony Harvey, for which this was one of his earliest movies, and also the only one that was essentially any cop. I exaggerate for effect, but he had his, his career peaked early. He got seven Oscar nominations, and he won three of them. Catherine Hepburn won for Best Actress. Best Music Score win for John Barry, who I'd never heard of. But when I said Lana Winter, Jane said, oh, that'd be John Barry, won't it? He's really good. John Barry's amazing. Is he? Did you not look up all the work that he'd done? Uh, no. He's done almost every James Bond movie. Ah, that's right. That's what James said. Yeah, okay. He also did Dances with Wolves. Did he do... do 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 I don't know. He did The Ipcris File. That's a great movie. He did Dances with Wolves. Probably not, can I? Dances with Wolves. Loads. Okay. Anyway, so the film 
the film relates a Christmas court. Oh, incidentally, they tried a, remaking this film in 2003 in a TV thing with Patrick Stewart and uh, Glenn, Glenn Close. Close, which is kind of, you know, fine. But why would you do that? I've never understood the remake thing. Mary Poppins, why are they remaking Mary it's Poppins? It's not a thing? remake. Isn't it? No, Mary, po well, no, Mary Poppins is, yeah. a, is a sequel. Ah, right. The two children have grown up now. Have they? Yeah. Is that right? Well, who wants to watch Grown Ups? Because they have a family as well. Oh, Mary Poppins has to return to help them. Right. It makes perfect sense. It makes no sense at all. It's going to take a blowtorch for me to get me to that film. No, I, I probably will go to it. Anyway, the film relates a Christmas court where Henry II and his family get together, supposedly in 1183. Um, so here's the thing. Here's what happens. Henry II was the Count of Anjou, made good. He becomes King of England uh, by right after the anarchy, and then he marries Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor of Aquitaine is the richest, the most... Um, he's got vast, vast tracts of land. Um, Ex-wife of Louis, King of France, managed to divorce from, from Louis, which is astounding. You know, why did Louis do it? Because France was a little tiny little thing at that stage. The Eagle de France, that's all it is. Anyway, so she's this massive heiress. They have a load of children. And the children all need, generally, the whole household needs an ASBO because you know, they're, they're outrageous. There's a tradition, there's a, a myth about the Angevins that one of their ancestors was this devil called Melusine who flies out the church window. Um, and Richard, very famously, apparently says at one stage, rather proudly, Richard the Lionheart, that is, from the devil we came, from the, to the devil we will go. So he's rather proud about the fact that they are a bunch of misfits. Henry can't work out. He's got this big, massive empire, which is most of Western France plus England. Can't work out what to do with it. In those days, there's no national story here. This is a big lord who happens to have loads of individual bits of land. There is no reason it should stay together. And in the film, one of the inaccuracies actually is that it says, I want to keep my Anjou and empire together. He doesn't necessarily. He wants to make sure it gets handed over in the right way. But he's not a good delegator. So he gives his eldest son, Henry the Young King, who's died by the time of this, actually, he gives him the title of king and then gives him no money, that gives him no power. So all of these, these lads, they're livid. They want political power. And in 1173, 10 years before this takes place, they all revolt. And Eleanor, the king's wife, helps that revolt and is part of it as Duchess of Aquitaine vast massive bit of his realm and that the whole world Christendom is appalled you know women don't do that women do what they're told they're obedient they sew tapestries they act as an intercessor as of mercy between the king and his people they create beautiful tapestries they endow sounds like they created a lot of tapestries a lot of tapestries then did I mention tapestries I did. They give money to the monasteries they endow the church they have a role a very important role blah 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 but it's not political okay by this stage Eleanor fights past she's a player. So, they lose in 73. Uh, Henry always wins, or it is until the right, the last moment, this is 10 years later. Plus, they have Philip II. Philip II is the son of Louis, uh, Eleanor's wife, and he will be the Angevin nemesis. He will rob John of, of most of the land except for Gascony. Okay, so that's the story. And they all get together. This is a Christmas court, and they're all arguing about... Who gets what? And they're all intriguing and making all these plans and Peter O'Toole is doing his stuff. So Peter O'Toole is Henry II. So there's the setup. What did you think of it? Okay. Well, to start with, it should be clear, you had set me up to absolutely hate this film. Mm. 
I, I fully expected you wouldn't. As I watched it, I was thinking, oh my God, Wolf is going to hit. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you, you told me You told me how much you disliked oh. it. And because you compared it so much to A Man For All Seasons, you were essentially like, well, if you didn't enjoy A Man For All Seasons that much, then you're definitely not going to enjoy this at all. Yeah. Uh, and when it opened, it opened with still images of these stone yes, gargoyles in like the church. That. And I was yeah. like, it's identical. Exactly. And I, the only saving grace was the music was really good. Hmm. So the music in the opening was really good, and I was like, this this score's great. Okay. And then I looked up as John Barry, I was like, okay, brilliant, makes sense. Um, John who? Okay, keep going, sorry, joke. And I realised that at first I was like, this is going to be a slog, but I quickly grasped what I thought the film was about, and once I'd realised what it was doing, I thought it was a hoot. What was the film about? That it was a tongue-in-cheek uh, comedy. Interesting, interesting. I really enjoyed, we're going to talk about a lot of these, I really enjoyed the Shakespearean connections, I really enjoyed the the kind of modern interpretation of history, I really quite enjoyed the fact that I could tell it was a play, um, but it was just really... But you hated that, when it was a man for all seasons, you hated that. Yeah, but this is completely different. It, it chooses to approach the subject from a completely different angle. Um, and I just thought it was really rewarding and really fun. Good Lord. Well, I understand. I'm going to read a quote to you, okay, which I'm then going to completely disagree with. We believe in the complicated intrigue these people get themselves into because we believe in them. They look real, inhabit a world that looks lived in. I couldn't disagree with that statement more. You always know, or I think you always know, that you're in a play, which just happens to have a camera pointing in it. They've clearly... Well, come to me historical accuracy I'm not saying that's terrible actually but if you think A Man for All Seasons is antiquated is a play you know on film then this absolutely is nothing happens physically I'm going to give you another quote there are no waves no wrecks nobody gets drowned. there's nothing to laugh at at all do you know who that is? No but you've done an accent so it's someone who has an accent yeah, I, do, I didn't do a very accurate accent okay, well, you did couldn't help it's uh, Stanley Holloway do you know Stanley Holloway is? Uh, no, I don't, I'm afraid. Oh, I've got so many happy hours ahead of us. Anyway, <laughs> they just talk, talk, talk. You know, yep. it's all about talking. It's all Coming about Coming from someone who likes the theatre so much, I'm surprised you have a problem with talking. It's just that, on the negative side, but that's not the point, really, because uh, I didn't end up hating the play, actually. That's not the point. The point is that it doesn't pretend to be real, I don't think. I mean, it tries to be, you know, reasonably accurate so it doesn't hit you in the face. But it's not about, it's not trying to be realistic. This is an nope. imagined event. Yep. The event in 1183 never happened, but similar events did happen. All the characters are real. This is somebody, you're absolutely right, having a bit of fun. Saying, yeah. these are fascinating characters. We're going to play around with how this might have looked here. And I suspect this is a play which is a lot more fun, like a Monty Python sketch. You know those old Monty Python sketches on telly, don't you? You've seen you're too young, aren't you? But... 90 99.9% of the Monty Python sketch are really rubbish when you see them on the telly. 80% of them are actually rubbish. No, they're not. Oh, they seriously are. Oh, come on. The thing about Monty Python is they get better every time you tell them. And amongst the pile of dung, there is 20% of absolute... I would say it's a little bit higher than 20%. Fine, we can argue about the percentage. The Olympic hide-and-seek competition. <laughs> but it's only funny because you're talking about it. It's like, is Vic there? You remember that one? Is Vic there? No, I'm afraid Nick Vic's there. The, you know, the, anyway, very funny in talking about it. 
I'm rubbish at the time. At the time, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea now. Anyway, I have a feeling it's like that. The more you think about it, the more you talk about it, the more you pick it over, the funnier you realise it is. So there's one stage where... Um, so it's the language. The film loves the language. The whole way through, there are all these little gags and little jokes. So... Um, at one stage, Peter O'Toole is yelling at Catherine and she's on a bit of a downer because they go up, they go down, they go in, they go out. And um, then they says, do the hokey-cokey. They do, actually. I mean, several times. Um, and he says, I'm vilifying you. Pay attention. It's a nice line. Um, and they go through all this chaos and madness, you know. And then at the end of it, or near the end, Catherine, Eleanor says something, says, oh, well. Which family doesn't have its ups and downs? You know, and they're killing each other and they've been murdering each other for decades. And, you know, she dismisses it. Everyone ignores Jeffrey and he says, you're all ignoring me. So they ignore him a little bit more. It's funny. It's really funny. I, I think Really it's... funny is, is, is big. It's quite cerebrally funny, isn't it? Yes, but Catherine Hepburn has three absolute zingers per minute for the entire movie. Go on then. Can you remember any? They never stop. Um, so John, who's obviously been set up... Mm. Two things. John is the worst actor I've ever seen. Ever seen. Ever, ever seen. They must have picked him. So he's really rubbish at acting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, His costume good. is terrible. Yes. Um, the bit where they say he has pimples and in the very next shot he has these terribly like stuck-on spots. He is absolutely <laughs> atrocious. Um, and his constant screaming about... Daddy is just so like yes. weird. But Daddy, you promised me. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly rubbish. It's like isn't I'm watching it? yeah. Kevin and Perry. Yeah. Um, but just for his one character, the rest of it is a completely different movie. Yeah. Okay. John just sticks out like a sore thumb. It is. Anyway, he's set up as being stinky and disgusting. So um, Eleanor arrives and she's like, "John, you're so clean and neat." And then later on, she says, um, "I never cease to marvel at the quickness of your mind, John." Knowing that he's an absolute yeah, buffoon indeed. and he doesn't even understand. She, this is his son. This is her son. She's, she's um, you know. It's, it's just, just so smart. Like the bit where they're all manipulating each other and she meant she brings up Henry's um, love who's died. Uh, I can't remember what her name was. Uh, Rosamond. Rosamond. And she then says it's been so many days since she died. And he's like, you counted the days. Yeah. And then she's like, I made, I made them the up. Number. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's just like, very sharp. She's it? just playing with yeah. him. Um, the whole time, there are all these barbs and they're just constantly coming out at everybody. The line where she says, he's got a knife. We've all got knives. It's 1183 and we're barbarians. <laughs> That's a lovely thing, actually. That, and there, that leads into another uh, key bit, which is that this is a film consciously sending itself up. So at one stage, Eleanor says... Oh, that's the problem with prehistory. They had no documentation there. This is a play which is consciously saying, we don't know what went on. We're going to have a bit of fun with the history here. And, yeah. you know, it's very self-referential. It's very self-aware that what it's doing is having a bit of a hoot. So I think what's brilliant about this is that the plot is essentially King Lear. Oh, is it? I suppose it is. Yes, it's the king being stabbed to death. Although... No, what I mean is the king trying to decide which of his children should yeah. get his... Um... But he's much more Machiavellian. I agree, but yeah. I just mean in a yes, general principle. Also, so, yeah. the yeah, fact yeah. that he loves the youngest one the most. Yeah. And then all the others conspire and everybody's fighting amongst well, themselves. Well, John isn't very Cordelia-like, is no. he? No. But still, my point yeah. being is yeah. that it's a classic 
story. Like a really interesting... You can tell why they picked it because it's such a great moment in history yeah. that the king's got to try and work out which of his children... Because normally they just give it to the, the next one. Like it, it follows yeah. in like a rule. Yes, yeah, and it's there is well we'll come to that. But there is an accurate bit about that. That um, Henry does cause a lot of problem by trying to give John some land. John is known as Lackland. He's much younger than most of the others. So actually, he does cause a lot of problem by yeah, trying because to give it should land. just be Richard. There shouldn't even be a discussion about it. So the fact that all of this is happening is really interesting. So I think it's a great structure to have. And then I'm I, going to argue that a little bit. Okay. We'll argue about that later. I, yeah, yeah. I just love that they sat to, they they sat down and they were like, how do they must have been having the discussion, but like, what could have happened? How do we resolve this? Let's make a Christmas movie, a yeah. family Christmas movie, which every family Christmas movie is about all these people coming together, maybe for the first once a year, and all of their like lingering hatreds and Our Christmas arguing. is nothing like this. No, but you know what I mean? Although actually, yes. every, his, mm. every Christmas movie you've ever seen, I mean... <laughs> uh, any, anyone you can possibly think of. It's where everybody resolves their issues or it starts off really pleasant and then it breaks down into absolute chaos and then maybe there's a little bit of learning at the end. But it's usually all these little nitpicky things going on and they're tricking each other and, you know, there'll be the the new wife or something yeah. who makes the much better dessert. That's true. And I then never thought about oh, It's yes. happening all the time. <laughs> and in this film, obviously... Alice is there, and yes. then Eleanor's constantly like having these barbs with Alice, and she's also really hurt by her presence. Mm. All the three brothers are squabbling with each other. You've got Philip there, and they're all trapped in this castle. And they're like, "What would you do if you trap them all and then make them try and resolve this?" Yeah. Um, there's lots of devices, aren't there? So the bit in the bit with the tapestries. The bit of the tapestries is great. It was very prosperous. Who is the guy who gets killed behind the night? There's one in Hamlet. Um, anyway, Polonius. Polonius. It's very. Uh, it's very classical, isn't it? They keep coming in. They keep putting other people behind the tapestry until everybody's behind the tapestries. And then... And then they each keep revealing each other. Come out, yeah. And um, The and dramatic effect is great. And actually, funny enough, in that, that's one of the very few scenes which actually had some emotional force. Because yes. generally, the thing that got me about the play was that I didn't really care, actually. You know, this was um, a, a mask being played in front of me, a dance. Uh, the dance was what was important, not the, not the players almost. But there's one. This scene has some emotional force because it's the scene where you have Richard declaring himself as a homosexual and being, you know, very brutally rejected by Philip. Um, and it's the scene where you see Philip getting, you see his because he's it's, it's much the best. More it's the best bit of the film. The yes. whole the whole construction of it. Yeah. That they they have this plan and then is it Joffrey? Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Jeffrey heads there, and when he gets there, John's already there conspiring yeah. against him. Jeffrey is now conspiring against the others. So they have their argument, and then there's a knock on the door, so they get put behind the tapestry, and then Richard comes in, and then he's conspiring against them, and every time Philip lies to each of them, even yeah. though each of them can hear behind the yeah. tapestries, then Richard gets hidden, and then the king turns up. I'm laughing. This yeah. is brilliant. I'm like, there's a knock on the door. It's the king. Yeah. Oh, great. I actually thought it could be Eleanor, but Henry comes in, and you know that they're all listening, so you've got that kind of dramatic tension. Yeah. And then they each reveal themselves back the opposite way. They yeah. keep unraveling the present. They've wrapped it up, now they unravel it. Yeah. True. And then the dramatic um the, the the moment at the end when he's like they've all just been quabbling but it's like yeah. normal. And then they pull back the curtain and reveals John's also betrayed yeah. him. The one son he couldn't believe yeah, would ever would do, do that. Yeah. And it completely breaks him. So you get you get actually loads of really significant character development occur within that scene 
with the comedy, mm. it all just plays out really well, and you know it works really well like on the screen as well. And I imagine it would do on stage. Though the say so the play um, bombed. The the trouble with it all for me is because it's so convoluted, and you keep on getting these new. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. That I've lost interest. Yes. Actually, in as I say, what I'm watching is a dance, and the intricate nature of the dance is quite fascinating, and. <clears throat> But in actual fact, I don't care because I never believe these people are real. So it doesn't have much emotional force. It's just a little bit with Richard and Philip, as I just mentioned. And as you say, that for once, Henry appears to show some genuine emotion. There's also quite a, lot, there's quite a lot of really... Henry and Eleanor is still the best stuff. <sighs> Do you know, I'm, I mean, I know what oh, you mean. Oh, come on, David. But again, <laughs> I... You don't know, there's no point of reference. I don't know, I'm, I'm too simple a man, obviously. I don't, there's no point of reference of me thinking, okay, so what's the truth here? Because they're so much slidey aroundy and changing their story all the time. I don't actually know what the reality is. Okay, so have you seen or read um, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes, I was okay. going to It's exactly like that. It is exactly that. that. It is who may, who, who's and afraid of Virginia And in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, you're obviously... Well, I watched it with Dickie Burton and Liz Taylor. Yeah, and I, I think that O'Toole and Hepburn are like yes, uh, Taylor versus are, Burton. Exactly yeah. like it. Um, yes, it's the absolute perfect analogy. But in there, they are trying... You can see there's a... Well, no, it is exactly you have very to, You have to piece together their relationship. Yes. And you can't quite work out what's happened to them mm. and why they... You just start at this party and you know they kind of hate each other and it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm. But at the same time, they know they're kind of perfect for each other. Yeah. And I think what you get a lot in this film is how great is the scene where they're walking down the hall and they're waving. Yes. And they're waving to everyone yes. and they're like, I'm going to kill you <laughs> through their like pursed lips. And they're just... They're just burning each other one after yeah. the other with zinger after zinger. Yeah. Um, all these great lines. And they really, they know each other inside and out so they can stab at each other's absolute weakest yeah. points. And the... See, I don't like that very much. And they much. keep manipulating each other. Like, <laughs> don't you love the bit when Eleanor, like, breaks down loads and then, nice and then Eleanor's like, yes, I'll sign it for my freedom. And you know Henry thinks he's got one up on her. Yeah. And then... The tears have just managed to come away from her face by the time she sits down with the pen and she's like, on one condition. Yeah. Alice and Richard get married right now. And then you know that he doesn't want to do it, but he's such a stubborn man that, and he's he's so overwhelmed that he's like, yes, we're going to marry. And then they're storming through the castle, trying to wake everybody up and organise this marriage yes. on the spot. It's hilarious. Right, okay, good. It's really interesting. And, okay, right. so throw this out there. Catherine Hepburn is absolutely perfect. Right. Okay, so she's built her career on making loads of really, really good screwball comedies. Right. Bringing Up Baby versus Cary Grant. Right. Philadelphia Story with him again. Then she did a whole series of films with her husband, Spencer Tracy. So there's Adam's Rib, for example, where they both play lawyers. One the defendant, right. one the accuser. I'll right. get on both sides. So they're always, like, quarrelling with really, like, smart, witty dialogue delivered really quickly. And she's just chewing the scenery up. It's like right. She's having such a good time. Um, just absolutely thrashing everybody around yeah. all the time. They're being really overly dramatic. And it's great. They are. I mean, they, they really go for the, for the overdramatic thing. Peter O'Toole, I mean, he's, you, you could not imagine a more hammy actor. I suppose that's the thing. You see them acting. You know you are watching actors do their thing. I think that's why I just see it as a really... Slightly absurd, yes. but really funny comedy. Yeah. I think you've got to look at it through that lens. And the thing is, when I was when I was little, I didn't want to look at anything through that lens, and I find it a bit difficult now. Once you know that's the lens you're looking at this through, the whole thing is transformed. Yeah. 
when I thought it was a serious drama, yeah. it was really hammy and the acting yeah. was over the top and I couldn't follow it. Yeah. And I was really disinterested. Once Catherine Hepburn arrived mm. and I realised, wait, everything she's saying is really funny. Yeah. History movies aren't that funny. Yeah. She's really funny. Um, the more that kept happening, then I realised, okay, if I think about this as a Catherine Hepburn yeah. comedy movie, then now I kind of understand where I am. Right. And then from then on, right. it was... You to enjoy it a bit more. Yeah, it was really fun. Obviously, it's a it's a little bit like um, a Raymond Chandler-like yeah. novel where the plot doesn't make any sense. No. It's the big sleep. Who did the murder? We don't know. We don't care. Yeah, we don't. At the end of it, it's nothing is resolved. And everybody's deceiving everybody. Yeah. And because it never happened, there can be no real outcome at the end. Yeah. So it just kind of carries on, which... You know, the ending's a little bit weak, I guess. Yes, they um, say, well, they basically say, see you next year, sort of thing. And it looks though like she's, she leaves as though she's had a great time. But, um, yeah, it's. I think it's just uh, I think it's just really, really fun. And great. yeah, I love seeing the royals reduced to yes. petulant, quarrelling children. Yeah. I, I love that they've... Because there's a really incredible moment where Henry says, I will be remembered better than I lived. Right. Okay, so Henry's broken down, and he basically says, I'm going to be remembered like Quatermain and he lists off all these people Alexander the Great etc he's talking about all the greatest men who've like ever lived and everything they achieved and he's going to be like I'm going to be remembered like them but I will not have been fun living my life mm. yes I'll be remembered for something that I never yeah. experienced well actually it's quite which is quite accurate in a way I mean we remember Henry II as this this amazing ruler who transformed the legal um the legal system in in England and gave us this common law or started the process towards creating common law. That's how we remember him. We remember him also as the husband of Eleanor and something of this po- politics. But until you see this, you can't visualise just how yeah. potentially vicious and child- childish it was. So how fascinating is it that you take this figure who's so kind of grand and great in everything mm. they've achieved and then you reduce them all to yes, these like squabbling children. It's just yeah. a bickering family at yeah. Christmas. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really fun kind of takedown of that. Rather than Man for All Seasons, for example, it's really trying to elevate it's about, everybody yeah. to, to reinforce True. their godlike status. Yeah. If anything, it, it kind mm. of re- tries to support Henry, make him slightly better in our memory, mm. and raises Thomas. Yes, it's a hagiography of Thomas yeah. More, basically. Yeah. It's. Um, this is the, considering what's this, it's almost the same year that they come out ish. It's quite close, isn't it? Sixty six. This wasn't it. Or this 68. is sixty eight. Yeah. So they, I think they might yeah. be the same year. But but actually. it's it's a complete like counter yeah. idea to like how you would yeah. re- look at history and review it. True. And um, I we love what ifs, and mm. I just think it's a really interesting and fun what if that kind of right. builds around these characters. Uh, Great. I'm I'm a bit surprised. I must admit, this is very this is very gratifying. In fact, it sounds like you like it more than I do. I thought Timothy Dalton yes. was the pick of the bunch, but then maybe he was, I think he was in a different play because uh, he seemed to be properly acting as though he was Philip Augustus. And he was the only one I actually believed. I thought he was, I thought he was really good, but I did wonder if he walked onto the wrong set. Um, yeah, he's interesting. I think he's really good. Um, he kind of comes a villain almost. Well, he is, he is the guy who will unwrap the Angevin Empire. He, he will do... What is required? He has a he has a purpose. He has a real purpose. Whereas the others are just squabbling for power. He's got a plan. And I I think that I do think there's enough going on in this story that some of the really personal reveals that Eleanor makes to herself in the mirror, or Henry does when he almost does this soliloquy, and um, everybody else 
I think it's really interesting that there is kind of this stuff going on underneath it all. So yeah. we've got all this fighting, but there is some really interesting kind of looks at history still happening mm. in there and the kind of um, almost meta analysis of the time with the characters kind of are aware right. of their presence in history. Well, that's that's the interesting thing, as we were saying earlier, that it's so self-referential, the, yeah. the comment about Eleanor saying, this is 1183 and we're we're all barbarians. It takes you outside of the play for a moment, doesn't it? Because it breaks that wall or whatever you call it. And suddenly you're looking in and realise that they're looking in. So a few questions I did want to yep. ask. Um, how did you feel about the use of everybody's normal accents? Well, I, I never even remarked on it because it would be so confusing if you tried to get... Because they didn't speak modern French then anyway. Um, you know, it would have been a mess. That's fine. I just wanted to check that obviously when Henry... Uh, is very English and is speaking to the very English Timothy Dalton, yeah. who's French, that you were fine with yeah. I just thought I would just check. Because I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it would just get in the way horribly. Good. There was one thing I thought was quite interesting. You know when they go down, Eleanor is escaping, and they go down, and I think it's Richard with them, and they, or she's got a guard, and he kills the other guard. Yeah. In the middle of this fun, this froth and all the rest of it, you've got quite a vicious killing. Do you know the way they do it? That they struggle... You actually see the sword going in. You know, it's very naturalised. You see the leg kicking. That was a very odd bit, I thought. Yeah. You're suddenly in this, again, a completely different film, which is very... It was almost like that bit in uh, Saving Private Ryan, you know, where you get the death scene where he forces the knife very slowly towards and you see it slowly going in. You realise actually killing somebody is actually, you know... It was just a bit odd, that was all. Yes, and... uh... For me, the the emotional payoff or issue that occurs in the scene where kind of Richard reveals his love, yeah, um, it almost sticks out from the film because it doesn't really match the rest of the tone. Yes, you suddenly it's getting serious. So that's, I mean, I wondered whether that was conscious or just slightly maladroit in the sense that um, suddenly does it remind you that actual fact these people did cause war, they did kill lots of people in their efforts to win their bit of power. You know, there is a reality behind this bit of fun, which is mayhem. I think it's really interesting, the scene where Eleanor's like, um, she's like, are you going to have me, like, burned at the stake? Are you going to have me, like, um, hung, drawn and quartered? She's, like, talking about all these different ways that he could kill her if he wanted to. And we can't forget that she's in prison. She has been in like, prison and will be in prison for another five years. And she doesn't want to be in prison. She absolutely no. hates being in prison. Indeed. She did rebel against her king. Sure. You know. But I think there are, there is still a few... Like, I like to do a, a few reminders in there to let yeah. us know that these people are capable of yes, terrible indeed. things. Yeah. There's a bit of reality. Um, and that. they really do all threaten to murder each other. Yeah. And because they're never really going to go through with it, I think maybe it does remind us that there are like consequences. Yeah. Um, and I really wasn't sure if Henry was going to strike down Richard towards the end. Yeah. Um, the scene was, you know, quite powerful yeah. and okay, quite we should, impressive. Great. Okay, so surprisingly enough, you uh, you liked it. As a historical record, we should be we can be pretty quick on this. Um, the event shown now, as we said, didn't take place. Chinon, though, of course, was, was the centre of Henry II's power. Um, the film basically puts together a couple of things. So Henry meets with his sons at Angers earlier that year. And he has a summit meeting with Philip II at the, the Great Elm at Gisors, which Philip actually cuts down, which is where the kings of France and the kings of England used to meet on the border of Normandy. 
and it reflects the importance of the Christmas court. Of course, what you see is a very Victorian Christmas with a Christmas tree for crying out loud. So, you know, there are inaccuracies all, all around it, and it is a story, quite clearly a story. So essentially what you see is they're kind of... It's a little like Master and Commander, but in Master and Commander, the history, historical accuracy is the god in terms of the environment. Here, they want to make it look reasonably realistic, and they very consciously make it earthy. Yeah. You know, they because what we're seeing is a squabble, as you're saying, a family squabble, that's all reinforced, I think, by the way they represent the period, which is perfectly realistic, but underground. So the court, this is the most glorious court in Christendom. What you're seeing is something that looks like, you know, a minor lord on the some, you know, some outskirts somewhere. They would have been covered with colour, covered with music, the greatest people in the land. You know, this is the greatest court in Christendom. So um, it's really not, even the framework isn't particularly accurate. Okay. How about the relationship between Richard and Philip? Yes. So um, this has always been one of the debates about Richard, the Lionheart, whether he was gay or not. Um, There's a report in, uh, I think it's a a Poitavin Chronicle, which talks about the king, French king loved him so much that he allowed him to share his bed. Now, people slept in the same bed very often because the bed was quite a, quite a rare, not a rare thing, but it was quite an expensive piece, piece of kit. So some people say, you know, this isn't this rubbish. Actually, it's Roger of Hoveden, their chronicler. At night, their beds did not separate them. So, you know, your traditional people have said, oh, this is just people share beds all the time. Other people say, look, the way that's phrased, that nights their bed did not separate them, is, is telling you something. He has a a very unhappy relationship with poor old Berengaria, his wife of Berengaria of Navarre. Cheats her very badly, shows no interest. He has no children. Ah, you know, you know, we're nobody's. We're never going to know. But there's at least a strong. So possibility. it's a plausible interpretation. Yeah. Okay. It's entirely possible to hold up an argument that uh, Richard was was gay, and that whether he had a relationship with and had a relationship with Philip. So. The inaccuracies, to sum up, the inaccuracies are legion. The accuracies are quite superficial. Um, but he, do, he doesn't, they don't care. They don't care. No. You know, I don't think. So there's a lovely bit, I thought, in the thing we've got John snivelling away and in the background there's a whole pen of pigs. You know, they're making the framework act to deliver the play rather than trying to reflect an event in an accurate framework. So I put it quite low in terms of accuracies. There are lots of accuracies, but, you know... Yeah, yeah I think in fairness, when the characters enter, they kind of come in... There is quite a lot of detail about who they are. Like, I love the line, um, and then you can go and visit Richard wherever he is off killing people. Yes. Um, the idea that they, they know that Richard just off around the world. They turn him into a... They turn it, I mean, they turn him into a murdering... They make him brutish, actually. Yeah. There's a bit at the beginning where in a... A joust is is a game. You're not meant to kill the other people. In fact, nobles in those days did not kill each other. So there's the joust yeah. at the beginning, and you see Richard almost about to kill this chap, but it would never happen. I think it's meant to parallel the scene later with Henry, yeah. but I'm not quite sure. Yes, I think you're right. It's meant to just show this guy was going to break the rules. He's just a <clears throat> brute. So, great. Uh, so let's mark it. Should we get historical accuracy out of the way? I would... Go for sort of four or five, as far as historical accuracy is concerned. Bit harsh, should we go for five? Um, no, I would go lower. Right. Only because the 
every single event in the movie is consciously made up. Yeah. Completely made up. There's references to real history in like a, a yeah. wider scale and they must know who the characters are in order to bring yeah. them into this world. But it's like, um, pick five random famous people. What yeah. if they all met? What kind of stuff might yeah. they say? And the the framework, they haven't done what they've done in Master of Commander saying try and make the framework no. beautifully Plus, accurate. It, it's like a comedy. So um, there might be, some of these people might not have actually conspired against each other like really that much in real life. I think they did. But in the, in, not in that way necessarily, but they were all pretty conspiratorial. Okay. What actually what you don't see is the is the sons conspiring quite as much amongst themselves. But I take your point. So we go four. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, qualities of film. I'd probably say a six. Okay. I was going to go five or six. So let's go six. Because we've talked it up a bit. You yeah. Know. It, it, it's a bit too long. Um, so with the amount of you like, do go round and round and round, happening, yeah. like, it keeps happening over and over and over yeah. again. And some of the emotional payoff at the end, yes, I'm not, I'm not really. There is none essentially. Yeah, it's not, I'm not really there for yeah. it. Um, obviously, obviously, it has to be. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say some of the acting is touch and go, and, and John is atrocious. Yes, he he literally drags the whole film down a point at least. Yes, he is uh, just far too obvious. And um, also, you have to watch Catherine in that chin thing. Did that not really annoy you? No. Do you not think you really must want to take that thing off? Because it sort of came over a chin. Actually, I learned that it is actually a garment that Lady Jane Grey wears one, actually, when she comes on the throne for nine days. And it's the church hates it. You're not allowed to have it. It's kind of the royal people habit. So it is actually a particular garment. But it must be incredibly uncomfortable. You're not yeah, convinced. I mean, it probably was uncomfortable, but... It, <laughs> it didn't ruin the play. It was like the barrel of lime for me. Yeah, but what you're saying is, you're saying the problem with the lime is that it's inaccurate. You're, no, they borrowed the lime, they should have put the top back on. Okay, I, suppose, I guess. Yeah. What I'm saying is, just because it's uncomfortable doesn't yeah. mean that she didn't have to wear it. Yeah, but annoying me, I couldn't stop watching it. Okay. But do you not think it adds to making her kind of stand out? No, it adds to make me thinking, don't like this. Did you also think about Stardust while you were watching this? No. Because Peter O'Toole is the king in Stardust who has to give out his land and his throne to the son that survives. Is that right? Yeah. Huh? Oh, so he's right? dying and he huh. gives it, and he's like, whichever one of you is left at the right. end gets my oh, land and no crown. Didn't think about it at all. So but I will in future. All right. So uh, we've given it a six. Have we? Get six and a four. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be interested to see if um, everybody's angered by okay. our response. I'm going to be interested too. If it's a personal too, favourite yes. of people. So and why would we recommend everybody to go and see this movie? I think it's a really, really interesting portrayal of... Uh, kind of monarchy and it's not not monarchy. If you like witty dip dialogue, isn't it? If you, yeah. If you like that, come through us. A little send up of history. Yeah. Um, it's plausible. So I think everything that happens is, is totally plausible. Some of it maybe less than others. Um, but it's just a really interesting kind of like what if, um, study of history. Yeah. And a way of reducing characters who are myths and legends to us, um, down to real people. Yeah. That we can completely connect with on a on a modern level because they act like people do now hmm. uh it's always worth kind of making that connection and those parallels between modern like christmas family dramas right. and i same. hope i hope our christmas isn't gonna be like this you're coming around at some stage it's not gonna be like this is it everybody's got knives david <laughs> all right on that note we will have the it's 2018 and we're crowders <laughs> although I, i'm technically not but still well, you know whatever almost let's have the roundup of the battle of algiers with our lovely new jingle wolf, wolf and david's, david's roundup, roundup. 
They're the rootin'est, tootin'est cowboys in the wild, wild west. Wolf and David's Roundup. Okay, so 86% of those of you who'd seen this film loved the Battle of Algiers. Yes, that is 86%. Now, this, of course, is an excellent example of Disraeli's dictum that there are lies, damned lies and statistics because the truth of it was that 74% of you that voted had never seen it at all, and 40% of those were firmly, happily, and even smugly happy that they were never going to watch it either. I suppose we did rather expect this. I mean, an Italian black-and-white movie with subtitles, it's almost a cliché, really. But look, I and a few others are here to tell you that you're wrong. Really. It's a fascinating film. I really enjoyed being introduced to it. I made the schoolboy error of leaving the allow anyone to add poll options ticked on Facebook, which is always an opportunity for you lot to exercise your creativity. But Sarah added an interesting one, required viewing for generations of first year undergrads. I wanted to know why specifically, but basically I'm in agreement, unless it's to help with student riots, of course. And I think Sarah was referring to building an understanding of colonialism generally, irrespective of the country doing the colonising. Inevitably, that all ended up in a discussion about colonisation and Alan was required to roll out the image of the hanging of the five kings, the History of England equivalent of the yellow card. But once that was done, James, Justin, Caroline made the points most effectively. Anyway, David commented on the extraordinary grim detachment of most of the perpetrators in the film, but also how every so often emotional realities broke through – such as the poor bloke tortured into disclosing the hiding place of Ali. Catherine mentioned how extraordinary was the BBC interview of Saadi, and it really was. And that brings me, of course, to Hermione, who made the point that the film makes a link with the behaviour of the Gestapo in occupied France, and that it was a massively controversial film in France. He also gave us a new film to watch, Army of Shadows, that's Army of Shadows, made in 1969. So if any of you know that as well, it'd be great to hear your thoughts. Anyway, if you did watch and like the movie, you are in famous or infamous company, since Michael tells us that it was Che Guevara's favourite film. And make of that what you will. Perfect. Also, we have tried to start an Instagram History and Technicolor podcast, so you'll see new stuff coming up on there and hopefully some discussion about other films that we maybe don't always get to in the podcast. So if, you were, if you're on there, you can come along and follow us and uh, post some nice things or nasty things. All right, thank you. Well, I was, I'm very impressed. I thought you were going to crucify this movie and uh, you didn't, which is great. Yeah, I, just, I think I assumed when I was watching it that you hated it because you love and revere the characters and this movie kind of like... Just reduces them down to, I, I just to nothing. Like, I just don't like bickering. I felt sorry for Alice the whole time. Anyway, enough. We've talked about it. Okay, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you and be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you. Goodbye. Are you not entertained? Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. 
The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.